And Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. I think we're live. Hopefully we're live on the um, live stream too. We're at Sukkot here in Oregon, 2022. So I get um, the honor and the privilege of teaching the first uh, teaching today's afternoon session. And um, I entitled this message because Libby and um, Brenda are going to be teaching as well um, over these next few days, several days. Recognition, repentance, and the healing vow of the mikvah. Because as we are growing and developing, we're really seeing, just like I shared this morning, that this is all about working on the inward man to make the changes that we need to make in our life. So turn with me, if you will, to Bar Midbar, Numbers, and Chapter 30, verse 1. We're going to be looking right here at the neder, and we've covered this before in previous Torah portions, the vow, the neder, a vow. Whether you're taking a, a mikvah or a, a, a baptism, whether you're coming forward and making that proclamation of faith, whether you're entering into a covenant of marriage, or even a contract, it is like a vow. And how we then communicate and live our lives after that is so important. And Moshe spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing that Yahuwah has commanded. If a man vows a vow to Yahuwah or swears an oath to bind his being with some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth, which is where we get that your yes be yes and your no be no. And if also a woman vows a vow to Yahuwah and binds herself by an agreement, being in her father's house, in her youth, and her father hears her vow and her agreement by which she has bound her being, and her father shall hold his peace toward her, then all her vows shall stand. Don't slumber on your rights, otherwise you have none. Mothers and fathers, listen to what your children say and watch what they do because they could be binding themselves to things when you're not paying attention. Idols, idolatry, and all kinds of things. Mothers and fathers, do not slumber on your rights as mothers and fathers. And don't give those rights up to a third party. And it goes on to say, her father shall hold his shalom towards her if he her vow shall stand. And every agreement by which has bound her being shall stand. And if her father disallows it in the day that he hears it, not any of her vows or agreements by which she has bound her being shall stand. And Yahweh shall forgive her because her father disallowed it for her. That's a covering. That is the covering that you see within the family structure. Now, we've spoken about this vow in times past, but just to refresh your memory, the vow in the Hebrew is the neder. And it was, of course, always voluntary. 
Everything that we do, it's voluntary. You may be compelled to do it, and there be maybe much pressure and coercion and force, but at the end of, end of the day, everything that happens to you, everything that you do, it is voluntary. And we have to stop blaming others. We have to stop blaming the government. We have to stop blaming your spouse. You have to stop blaming your parents. Everything, at some point along the line, you volunteered for it. You may not have realized it, but you volunteered. You entered into a vow or a contract or some kind of relationship and you accepted either that abusive relationship. You may not have intentionally done it. You may have been trained to do that through your generations. You may have seen that your mother or your father accepted it. And it goes on and on and on and on. And when we're out there trying to find others to blame for the vows that we actually made, either intentionally or unintentionally, we'll never get the healing until we really deal with what's going on here in the scripture. Because once you take that responsibility of yourself, then that is when the change can happen. And you've heard me bang on about it. It's called acceptance. And that right there brings the healing in your life. So the vow, everything is voluntary. It always involves, in this case, this case, the neder, it always involves the name of Yahuwah. So yes, the name is important. Last week I shared about the name. And somebody pushed back and said, oh, so now you're not, say, you're not saying, it's, you're saying it's not important. No, that's not what I said. It is important. It's very important. But we can also, we don't want to use that to blame others of why they are using maybe a pagan name or haven't come to the knowledge of the name that you and I have come to the knowledge of. It's not that we're better. It maybe means that we have traveled a little bit further down the road. Does that make, make sense? And let me continue. So this vow, the neder, would always involve the name of Yahweh. It can be conditional or unconditional. It can be positive. It can also be negative. And once a vow is made, no one disavows a man's vow. It goes down the generations unless... The mother or the father act quickly. But if you slumber on your rights, like I said, you have none, right? It's a great idea. Oh, I have the right, but you slumbered on it. You let all this time pass, and now you're going to try and come back? It was your fault. Nobody else's. It was your fault that you were asleep at your station, at your post, if you will. Now, to break a neder, to break a vow, is to break Torah. Now, in the natural world, we must look at this with the natural law. You cannot go against Yahuwah's natural law. Even if you don't believe there's a God, you cannot go against natural law because it will bring affliction and chaos into your life because it's unnatural. It's going against a law that is there. And therefore, you will always have 
chaotic waters in your life. So we need to align ourselves as believers, not with natural law, but with simply Torah. Because when we align ourselves with Torah, then the waters become still and we can walk on water. And that's what Yahushua was teaching us. How to walk on water is to follow Yahushua by keeping the commandments and that stills the chaos and now you can live in harmony with Yahuwah because you're now following Torah. This is all connected to the vow. Now you can evoke the vow even unwittingly. And uh, you may hear the secular person say this, oh, I swear to God. Oh, oh. They don't realize it because maybe they don't believe in God. But they have just crossed over into a realm that they maybe realize that's going to have ramifications. And unless they align themselves with the Creator just by speaking that word, what have they attracted to them? Chaos. They've attracted chaos. And that's why somebody who's cursing is bringing chaos into their life. And that is a ramification right there. How many times have you heard somebody say, for Christ's sake? Right? What have they just done? They've just attracted chaos into their life. And some people say that all the time. And what is that? Taking the name of Elohim in vain. It's vain. It's vanity, right? So when I say that, I'm using that for teaching purposes only, please. So don't give me a bunch of comments. But it brings serious consequences. Because what we say, there is either we're bringing shalom to us or we're attracting chaos. We're either aligning ourselves with Torah or we are aligning ourselves with the chaos. Think about Jacob, Yaakov, and how he is an example for us. And you see this in um, Bereshit, Genesis. You can turn there if you want. In Genesis, Bereshit chapter 31, what does he do? He makes a vow. And by doing that, what does he bring towards him? We're either repelling or attracting, repelling or attracting. Because we are what? Energy. We are repelling or attracting. We're either attracting the chaos or we're repelling the chaos. How do you repel chaos? By keeping the commandments of Yahweh, by aligning yourself with natural law, better Torah. How do you have chaos in your life? By just bumping through life because it's all out there and the world is chaos because that is being on the seas. The nations are in chaos, especially now with mystery Babylon arising, but soon to descend. So what do we see? Bereshit, Genesis chapter 31 and the 32nd verse, it is written, with whoever you find your Elohim, let him not live. This is Jacob talking about his wife. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. We just spoke about idols this morning. Those little figurines, those little toys you can buy all over the nation. 
Jacob made a vow, but he did not know that his wife actually had stolen the idols. And what did he say? With whoever you find your Elohim, let him not live. And did that come to pass? Did what he spoke out come to pass? For Yaakov knew not that Rachel had stolen them. Then if you skip forward a few chapters to Genesis chapter 35 and verse 16, you see, and they journeyed from Bethel. And there was just a little way go to Ephrath, and Rachel travailed, and what happened? Chaos ensued, because what Yaakov, Jacob had spoken, came back to his generation, and she travailed hard. So, our fathers, right here, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but also your fathers, generationally. You may not realize somebody this morning said that they came from a Masonic line. Was that you? That was you, okay. So, so what do we have there? Our forefathers have made vows and spoken things unbeknownst to us. Are there consequences? Oh, no. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. Just like there are here, right? Look, in Numbers chapter 31, Numbers chapter 31, verse 1, it is written, And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Avenge the children of Israel against the Midianites. What's going on here? Afterward shall you be gathered to your people. You skip ahead a few verses just for brevity's sake. Verse 14. And Moshe was angry with the officers of the army and the captains over thousands and the captains over hundreds who came from the battle. And Moshe said to them, have you saved all the women alive? See, these caused the children of Israel through the council of Balaam to commit trespass against Yahweh in the matter of Baal Peor. And there was a plague. And it wiped through and went through the whole congregation of Israel and the whole congregation of Yahuwah. And therefore now kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman that has known a man by lying. And people get really offended at this. How could Yahuwah do that? It's so unmerciful. Well, they don't know Yahuwah. Because Yahuwah, one of his attributes is that he is merciful. So don't accuse him of being unmerciful when he tells you that he is merciful. Oh, he is so merciful. So what exactly is going on here? It's connected to chaos or calming the chaos. It's connected to the vow, and what you put out there returns to you. You reap what you sow. All of this is about personal inner work, personal accountability. It's not your fault, it's mine. 
And Yahusha goes on in so much depth throughout the Gospels. Take the plank out of your own eye before you try, which was quite funny, really, because I'm sure he was saying it and people were imagining somebody with this massive beam in their eye, bumbling around, knocking into things, causing more chaos as they were trying with their pointy finger to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. They were actually causing more chaos with their religious self-righteousness, which is what I was speaking about last week when it comes to the name. Don't cause more chaos in the community. Don't cause make more chaos in Christianity by coming in there with your religious self-righteousness because somebody hasn't come to the fullness of the knowledge that you may have right now. Your application is wrong. You may have the truth, but your application of it is in error. How do I know? Because you can go back in the archives and you can listen to me banging on with this massive beam in my eye at all that was wrong with Christianity and all that was wrong with this messianic group and all that was wrong with their doctrine, when in reality, my doctrine was wrong. I was wrong. And I was actually adding more chaos to the very communities and people that I thought I was supposed to be teaching the word to. Did it bring any more healing? I don't think it did. Certainly didn't in my family. But now I see. Now I see the error of my ways. So who is Yahuwah? Yahuwah tells us in Shemot, Exodus, in the 34th chapter, in the 7th verse. I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. And there you find the reason for what happened in the prior verse and scripture I read in your hearing. So let's clear up the common religious misconception that is often used as an excuse to live without consequence, which of course would go against natural law, would it not? Galatians 3, this one is used for an excuse. Oftentimes, you've all heard it in the 13th verse, for Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made curse a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And you have heard it said, because Christ has died, and therefore we no longer need to, to follow the law. That is a statement of chaos that brings chaos into the churches. And are the churches in chaos? Is religion in this world in chaos? Did they fare well during the pandemic? Did they stand for what they were supposed to stand or did they buckle to tyranny left, right and center? And when all of the commercial businesses shut down, did they shut down too? Why? Because they took a benefit and a privilege from Mystery Babylon and now they were drug into the chaos too which was against Yahweh's Torah or natural law, if you will. In Deuteronomy, in the 21st chapter and the 22nd verse, it is written, 
And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, then, when, then he shall be put to death. And you shall hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but you shall bury him that day. For he that is hanged is cursed by Elohim, that your land, key point, why? So that your land will not be defiled. Well, what's that got to do with me? Well, where did I come from? The dust. And where am I going? The dust. And do you want to defile the grave? No. Which means while you're here and your heart is beating, you have a very small window to calm the chaos. That's all your life is. So that when it is ready for Yahweh to call you by your name, that you can be still waters. And that you will then flow into the Malkut HaShamayim, Kingdom of Heaven. Because you have dissipated all of the chaos in your life. That's it. All of the anger, all of the hatred, all of the resentment, all of the fear, it's gone. That no matter what comes at you, you realize it is an opportunity to still it. Now, some of us will be challenged mightier than others because maybe to him who is given much, much is required. Maybe you stilled some massive chaos before. Well, now some more is going to come at you. And that may not be comforting to you all. But Yahweh is a comforter and he provides the Ruach HaKodesh to comfort you, to enable you to get into the waters and walk on, I believe we really can walk on water. And that is when we stand on the sea of glass in Revelation 7. It's dissipated. Totally dissipated. The chaos is gone. More and more I see it. Deuteronomy 21 verse 22. So the curse of the Torah was the death incurred by violating any or all of its precepts. So Yahusha redeems us from the death that our sin occurred, but generational sin is still a consequence that remains that we have the duty, because now we're bound by the vow, we now have a duty to match the frequency of Yahusha and still that chaos in our life. That's what the church does not teach. Let me repeat that because I don't think many of you heard it because I had to think about this many times and oftentimes I speak things out and you're like, yeah, but really did we get it? Let me repeat it. I'll say it slowly. The curse of the Torah was the death incurred by violating any or all of its precepts. Yahusha redeems us from the death that our sin incurred. 
Okay, lock that in. Can we all agree on that? Yes, but that's not the end of it. That's the end of it in religion, and that's the end of it when I was in the church, but it's not. And I wonder why I'm still having trouble in my life. This is why. Generational sin is a consequence of that sin that I am left to still. I am left to still that chaos. What happens if you're somebody like me, that you spent your first 24 years stirring up chaotic waters wherever you could go? That's all I did every waking moment of my first 24 years. I went around this world stirring up chaotic waters and defiling the earth. How can you say that that is going to dissipate in an instant? The death that is incurred by that, yes, that's gone. But the consequences of my actions remain because what you put out there comes back to you. You can't just undo it. Now is the duty, I am duty bound by the neder to calm the still waters of the chaos that I stirred up. Does that make sense? It does to me. I hope it does to you. Think about this. How many times of this you saw, Jim, you saw this repeating? For she is my sister. For she, no, she's not. Well, she kind of is. For she is my sister. For she is my sister. What happens? Isaac, Yitzhak, he manifests the same generational curse from Abraham. Isn't that what Abraham said? For she is my sister. Well, she kind of actually was. But not really. Isaac says the same thing. Noah, a man perfect in his generations. Noah, meaning he was complete in his genes. That's where we get the word genes from generations or zirai in his seed. He was free from generational sin. Why is Noah the first one that we see that was free from generational sin? What did he go through that nobody else had ever gone through before? If there was ever a man that learned how to walk on water, still the chaos and get through the chaotic waters, it was who? It's an allegory and a metaphor for stilling the chaos in the world. Noah walked on water. He stilled his generational chaos. And he was able to start anew on dry land, undefiled, because it had been purified by water and fire, judgment. Yahusha comes along and does the same thing. So oftentimes, these great truths are communicated to us through stories. That's not to diminish their power, 
but that was a vehicle of communication to a very, very ancient culture. It's talking about more than just an art and some animals going on it in your Sunday school class. Does that make sense? Noah was a man who was perfect in his generation. He was complete in his genes. We see that in Genesis Barashit chapter 6, verse 8. And it goes on to say there, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a Zadik, as in a righteous, a Malkit Zadik, a man and perfect in his generations. There's so many verses. Deuteronomy 23, the seventh verse, communicates more and more in depth to stilling the chaos. You shall not abhor the Edomite. Don't hate. Don't abhor the Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not even abhor the Egyptian, the Mitzri, because you are a stranger in that land. The children that are begotten of them shall not enter into the congregation of Yahweh for the third generation. Because it's going to take them that long to what? Still the chaos. Because they stirred up a lot of chaos when they were in Mitzrayim, Egypt, right? In their third generation, it says. In their third generation. Meaning, after three generations of marrying back into the Israelite household of faith, the offspring have enough Ruach-bearing capacity to be acceptable before Yahweh. Think about this in our modern world. Children are being trained up not to have spirit-bearing capacity. When I say spirit, I mean Holy Spirit. They are being trained up from birth, through all of the media, through all of the idols at hand, to accept households and households of foreign spirits. So therefore, their house is full of foreign spirits. And even if they clean their house for a day, are they going to have a clean house? What does Yahushua say? No. They're going to actually compound on them even more foreign spirits. Satan, S-A-Tan, has trained this generation to accept compound foreign spirits so they have little Ruach HaKodesh bearing capacity. Think about that. And if you can't witness that out in the world and in congregations, then I don't know where you've been. You haven't been standing attention at your post. We are watchmen on the wall. Watchmen on the wall. Think about this. Genesis 15, verse 13. You see, the sons of the third generation who were born to those people, they were able to enter into the assembly of Yahweh. Bereshit, Genesis 15, 13. And he said to Abraham, 
Know of a certainty that your zera, sperma in the Greek, seed shall be strangers in the land that is not theirs, and they shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for 400 years. And then in verse 16 it is written, But in the fourth generation they shall come here again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not quite, quite yet complete. Four times ten times ten. Tested for a time to establish truth. Four times ten times ten. They were tested for a time to establish truth. Meaning, whatever amount of breath of life they had inherited through their generations from Noah was insufficient for them to bring about a national reprieve by the time of the Exodus. It still wasn't enough time. They needed more time. There was not a national reprieve by the time of the Exodus. They were unable, if you will, to produce enough offspring with enough breath of life to make a difference. And I believe that we are living in those days. I believe we are living in the days of Noah. And if any of you work with the youth of today, I think you will testify to that too. Is there enough time in their generational life to actually receive enough Ruach-bearing capacity when they are so full of foreign spirits? Hmm. Because some will try and clean their house for a day, but unless they fill it with the Ruach HaKodesh, all of those self-help programs and all of those 12-step or whatever programs, they fail, they fall flat on their face unless you would have a more, if you have a stronger Ruach, it would have to be something mighty strong to bind that strong man. And that only comes from the Heavenly Father. Now we know that Yahuwah has 13 attributes and you find those 13 attributes. I love this, one of my favorite scriptures, one of my favorite prayers is Shemot, Exodus chapter 34 and verse six. Yahuwah, Yahuwah Elohim. There's his first three attributes right there. Is his name important? It's so important that it's invoked twice. Then his position is third, Elohim. And then what? Fourth, merciful. Fifth, gracious. Sixth, long-suffering. Seventh, abundant in goodness. And eighth, truth. Ninth, keeping mercy for thousands. Tenth, forgiver of iniquity. Eleven, transgression and sin. And they will by his 12 attributes. Many miss this by no means clearing the guilty. That is an attribute because justice must be administered justly for it to be just. And I'm so glad that we have an Elohim that will not clear the guilty. 13, his final attribute, and it is an attribute, that he will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children's children 
Christ's children unto the third and the fourth generation. I pray that as a prayer every day, and then I finish with this. Yahuwah, if I have found favor in your sight through your son, Yahusha, I pray your mercy upon me and my generations. Because now I am on the side of the resurrection that I have the power to invoke the name of the Son to bring stillness into those generational chaos lines. Does that make sense? So I always make sure that I put that on the end of that prayer. In conclusion, this whole return to the Torah, it's life-changing because it's an opportunity to still the chaos in our lives. And that's what I'm really beginning to see manifest. And I'll finish very briefly here with 13 principles from Torah that I really think have changed my life. And I hope that the, this will help you. Firstly, when you realize that Torah is not a religion, it's a kingdom. Torah is not a religion, it's a kingdom. Number two, the Torah cannot change your life until you change your genealogy. The Torah cannot change your life until you change your genealogy. Stop walking in your forefathers' sins. Number three, the only way to get a victory over generational principalities is with Yahuwah's principles contained in this Torah. Number four, many of the influences that you have are from influencing spirits. Because influencing spirits, they study your generations. They know how your flesh is influenced because they know how your forefathers were influenced. They have been studying your generations. Number four, you've got to unlock that one. You've got to unlock, look at your brothers, look at your sisters in your family, not your Israelite family, your natural family. Look at your brothers, look at your sisters, look at your mother, look at your father, look at your grandparents. See those traits and do an inventory because the spirits study those traits. They know the weaknesses and they know how to trip you and I up in those familiar spirits. Number five, influencing spirits, which we've now established they are, they operate in two realms, generationally and geographically. I went to Chitsa Nitsa once with my wife to Mayan ruin. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. I couldn't, we couldn't sleep all night. We couldn't sleep. We got up early in the morning. We got out, of, we got in that Jeep and got out of that jungle because the generational geographical area was just full on demonic. And I think you know. Sometimes you can just go to an area and you go, man, this is not good. It's not good. Think about that. Very serious stuff. 
influencing spirits operate generationally and geographically. Sometimes you have to move. And if you've been hanging out with the wrong company, sometimes you've just got to move. You just have to pick up and move to another place. Number six, Yahweh thinks generationally. Yahweh thinks generationally. His principles birth permanent destinies. Because with Torah, you're starting to practice rituals of honor. You're clothing yourselves in robes of righteousness rather than robes of dishonor. So principles of Torah are robes of honor. And many of us have been clothing ourselves with filthy rags. Does that make sense? So these things sometimes take time and they take practice. Constant practice. Number seven, the difference between the rich and the poor is that the rich think generationally and the poor are actually captured by their generations and by a familiar poverty spirit. Think on that, that offends people. Think on that, that offends people. The difference between the rich and the poor is the rich think generationally. It's not all about the here and the now. It's about leaving a legacy. It's about passing it on to successive generations where the poor are reactionary. It's all about the bread in my mouth today and living for my fill right now. And that is called a poverty spirit. And you get locked into it and it's the blame game. It's always somebody else's fault. Always somebody else's fault. These are 13 Torah principles of application that have changed my life. Number eight, a principle ignored creates a generational loss. Think about that. You ignore one of the commandments of Yahweh, you've just created a generational loss. Something that you could have taught to your descendants that they now no longer have. A tool that they could have wielded in this life that they do not have in their toolbox. Number nine. We do need to take a legal position to illegal presences. Because this kingdom that we're in, it's legal and it is lawful. And it is the highest law of the creation. It is the highest law. Number 10, all disease starts in your generations, in your spirit, in your soul. And then it's manifest, lastly, in the body. And then it ends up in the grave. So deal with the spirit, deal with the soul, and you'll be able to change the frequency in your body and calm the still 
live on that calm, still waters by still in the chaos. Number 12. Number 11, because I can't count. Many people will say, well, we'll just do the last half of the book. But when you come to realize that it is one book, then you get the wholeness which allows calmness. Wholeness brings calmness. You can't split the one book because you will never get the remedy to calm the storm because the storm is coming from both sides of the gospel, the New Testament and the Old Testament. And the remedy is found in all, not just one because it is Yahweh's remedy throughout. It's like taking just a piece of the tincture. No, it has been put forth and spoken from Genesis to Revelation. And by trying to split it, you're actually causing more chaos. Number 12, do not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Do not boil a kid in its mother's milk. That's generational iniquity, isn't it? Do not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Make the change. And finally, don't allow your children to be boiled in your generational sin. These are things I've gleaned. These are things that have been taught. And there the remedy is found. I'll finish up with a couple of scriptures here. Vaikra, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1. We read it just a few weeks ago at Yom Kippur. And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe after the death, Akaremot, after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before Yahuwah and died. And in chapter 18 of Vayikra, in the sixth verse, it says, none of you shall approach anyone that is close, mishpacha, family, to uncover their nakedness. I am Yahuwah. And here's the principle, akaremo, after the death. It's about, it's talking about akaremo, after the death, after the death of what? After the death of your forefathers. Nadab and Abihu, don't sleep with your forefathers, right? Don't sleep with your forefathers. Take on the Torah, take on the commandment. Don't sleep with your forefathers. If your forefathers were in a false religion or the mate, don't sleep with them. Yes, it's literal, but it's also giving you allegory and metaphor. Don't go where they went. Make the change. Don't sleep with your forefathers. It's actually immoral for you and I not to take on the Torah. It's immoral because we've been given the revelation. If we don't teach our kids the Torah, it's akin to giving them into the fires of Molech. We're boiling a kid in its mother's milk. Akare Mo, after the death, 
Well, how about Akare Mot Yahusha? After the death of Yahusha, we should no longer boil a kid in its mother's milk. If I've really accepted the death, burial, and resurrection of Yahusha, Akramot Yahusha, then I cannot go back to my old generations. And you may not be able to go back geographically to where you grew up. Because when you go back there, you may find those familiar spirits are waiting to stalk you. And will try and awaken those old behaviors as you walk past the tavern that you used to go. As you walk right past the greyhounds where you used to bet on the dogs. You know what I mean? Hmm. We don't want to use our children's blood, our children, the generations, as an excuse for not attaining the priesthood and attaining the kingdom of Yahweh. It's all about the inner work that needs to be done. And in conclusion, Vayikra Leviticus, chapter 26, verse 29, if we walk contrary to Yahweh, we'll eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters shall you eat. Vayikra 26, verse 29. If we walk contrary to Yahuwah, we'll eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters shall you eat. Did devouring, this is talking about devouring the flesh through passing down our generational sin into the lives of our sons and daughters. This is multifaceted. Yes, it is spiritual, but we manifest it naturally too by the things that we do, what we eat, what we drink, where we go, where we move, who we associate ourselves, what we watch, what we listen to, what we sing, what we speak, who we don't pray for and who we do pray for. Some of the greatest healing you'll get is praying for all of those that have caused you troubles. And that angst will pass and you will have great, great, great shalom. This to me is life-changing when you really see its application. And I'm excited that we're going to be spending the time looking at these inner works, not only in diet and health, but spiritual health. This is all about the feast and the festivals of Yahuwah, the Malkut, the kingdom of Yahuwah. I hope this um, made sense to you, a little bit of a, a shorter message today, but we've been sitting for a while, and I don't think I'll have time right now to take questions on the live chat, top live chat, but um, put those comments down in the comment section, and uh, Shabbat Shalom and Hag Sameach to all of you all over the land there that are keeping Yahuwah's Moadim. Tune in because we're going to try and do this live stream every single day over the next seven days. So Baruch Hashem, Yahweh, and Shabbat Shalom.